you know, this idea of receiving, you know, knowledge, wisdom, spirit, you know, story from a higher source, rather than that being something that's grounded in the place that we're all standing in. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Sistema, and this is Sistema for Life. Yo! So we got Glenn Murphy. Hey! Glenn Murphy from the UK. Um, yeah, uh, Sistema. So I, I don't know, you call yourself expert or, or whatever, but a Sistema enthusiast, instructor. Practitioner, um, yeah. We'll put yeah, it that way. So, yeah. yeah, practitioner. <laughs> A uh, bit of a champ, you know, from what we just do. We just spent half an hour uh, to an hour going through some stuff uh, that was intriguing the last time we spoke. So, yeah, I, I um, you know, this idea of drawing down from, you know, making this connection with the place around you and, and drawing yeah. that into yourself and having that kind of fluid self other boundary, but then, you know, being able to direct that uh, into, you know, all kinds of things. Whether it's yeah, yeah, I, I just, hitting somebody with the idea of them hitting you or something like that. Anyway, um, yeah. yeah, I loved all of it. And I thought we might, you know, get into ideas about consciousness and uh, cognition and, you know, non brown brain bound cognition and uh, haptics mm. and all that kind of thing. Because uh, I think you've got some, some mad ideas about that. Um, yeah, if you want to introduce yourself a bit better than, than I've just done, then <laughs> let's get stuck in. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, name's Glenn Murphy, and I'm originally from the UK, um, from the southeast, down near uh, southeast of London, where the Channel Tunnel is. If you know where that is, across to uh, France, that was my hometown, Folkestone. So, um, but I moved. Actually, I live in the states now. I live in uh, North Carolina. I've been here for quite a while, um, and I teach Sistema. I've been doing martial arts my whole life, pretty much um, judo, jujitsu, all kinds of different stuff, mostly Eastern uh, Japanese. Chinese modalities and stuff. But, um, but about 20 years ago, I met a guy who was teaching Sistema, this Russian style in, um, in London, took that up and it just profoundly changed my perception of, of what it is to practice a martial art and what it's for uh, more than anything else. And, um, and then meeting the real practitioners of the art, the people, you know, they're not just playing at it, but the people that live it day to day and, and have really kind of lived it in difficult environments as well. Um, and just feeling their presence and their ability to, I don't know, understand you and people around them and the world almost just seemingly out of this kind of intuition, um, mm. which is trained, right? It's trained. It's like there's it, obviously an innate aspect, but it's there's a pathway towards training this, which is quite distinct from things like meditation and stuff like that in, in, in what I found. Um, and just, yeah, I've been training it for couple of decades and, and teaching it here in North Carolina for about the last 14 years. And, um, and just every, every year in this practice makes me more open, I find. Um, and it starts to create weird connections, start to make me aware of things that I, that I didn't really see before um, mm. and open up to ideas and perspectives that I probably wouldn't have done just raised mm. in the environment that I was. And, <laughs> you know, with the ideas that I had, uh, and even in civilization, you know, as you point out in sand, in sand talk, that that constrains you in a certain way into certain ways of thinking about things. And, and I feel like Sistema was the beginning of breaking me out of those things. It seemed like a, an echo or a remnant of a much older way of thinking. And mm. I don't, and reading sand talk was the first time that I'd read anything that felt like what Sistema feels like to practice for me. So I think that was the beginning of my fascination with following you and, and, and Santor and what was going on. I saw so many resonances in there and I'm like, this, this is, 
there must be some inherent truth in this, right? Because there's inherent yeah. deep truth in the indigenous knowledge you're talking about. And there is as well in the practice that I, that I know and feel. So, um, so yeah, that, I think that's what started the connection for me. Well, it, it, it does put you in a different relation to place. Um, just the exercises you just took me through there though. Um, these were actually, it was really familiar. So it was easy to hold that even though we were getting disrupted with the signal breaking. Yeah, yeah. That. that's interesting. Um, Some people have trouble holding that. That's interesting that you can hold yeah. it quite easily. Well, I'm, I'm, still in, I'm still in it right now. You know. Good. Um, Good. Yeah, and there's a bit of a story to that. But it's funny because story is, story is kind of how, how it all works. You know, it, it's, these are your main things, and, and it's not just an Indigenous thing, but it, it's a human thing, you know, hmm. um, you know a pre-domestication thing that it, everything is spatial. Your, yeah. your cognition is grounded in a spatial awareness um, mm. and the, your way of navigating through that, which is, you know, a lot of inputs at once, um, mm. is is narrative-based. So it is place and story that really guides all of your memory, all of your, um, the way you process everything, you know, mm. all, all the information and knowledge that's coming in all the time, the way you relate to uh, everything and everyone around you. So, yeah, I've, I've been really interested in, Systema and what that is, but um, and we have our own story about that hmm. connection because I saw your instructor on YouTube yep. um, uh, about a decade ago, just before I met um, our old man Juma in 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 Santork, who showed me those those symbols. Yeah, um, yeah, and so that was that was on my mind because I saw you, I saw your instructor. I didn't know who he was, but I was just blown away by this, like this. Um, this little smiling chubby dude who's who's doing these motions with his hand, like it looked like your grandma, like you know, kneading dough or something for a damper. <laughs> yeah. You know? And he was just like on tap on, on these huge muscly guys, and they were just dropping. <laughs> right. And yeah. you know, you could see that it wasn't um, that wasn't fake. Something was going on there. And anyway, we talked about that. We talked about that last time. How yeah, and how that was on my mind. And mm. you know, I'd I'd always wanted to um, connect with someone who'd done Sistema and, and see how that goes. But there's a genealogy too, which has gone right back to Cossack stuff. You know, yeah. so, so historically, you know, um, yeah, where, where's all where's it all coming from? Let's let's get that story and the place uh, right first. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's kind of it's a little bit on the blurry side because the stories haven't been carried. I think contiguously. Do you know what I mean? There's been a lot of interruption and breakup, specifically you know, during the Soviet Union, I think, and the kind of the suppression of everything old, you know, and, mm. and that kind of way. The same thing happened in China, I think. They just, they tried to kind of break a lot of traditional things. And so I think a lot of narrative-based, you know, not the learning itself, probably some aspect of the transmission yeah. of, of what it's for and how it works and how to develop it was probably lost. Um, but all, but certainly the degree of, of exactly where it came from. So there's kind of conflicting stories and things like the, the near side story is that it dates back to at least the Cold War and a bit further back to um, Soviet soldiers who trained in this style that was originally kind of indigenous to russia in a way do you know what i mean like uh, it was yeah. it was a folk style a slavic style of fighting that was yeah. then systematized like literally studied you by you know biomechanicists and fit and physiologists 
in the in the Soviet army to try and kind of perfect a biomechanical fighting style that would make their soldiers, especially the like special ops guys and things, super efficient yeah. um, and able to be very, very, um, not necessarily be the strongest guys in the world, but just keep going no matter what. You know, it's like that, mm. that mm. Russian, like, is it the best you can do? You know, just <laughs> no matter what happens, you know, you can't put them down. You know, they just keep going and keep coming. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the near side like the narrative about war and conflict and rising up. And there's a whole kind of story around that in, you know, that Russia um, was beset on all sides. You know, it's, it's mm. a long, long land boundary like with, with everything, you know, in Eurasia. Yeah. And as you know, they have all kinds of different climates across that range as well. Um, yeah. So, so Russian soldiers, Russian people had to be pre- prepared for fighting in a lot of different environments and mm. against a lot against them with a lot of different people. Do you know what I mean? Like people yeah. um, with varying tactics. So the idea is that they they kind of spread bet with adaptability and endurance instead of putting all their eggs in one basket of, you know, like a really, really um, fast and precise sword style or knife style, for example, which, you know, mm. in the Philippines or something, they might have gone with that. Instead, they're like, let's just do knives and get really good at it, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like that yeah. way. Instead, they kind of hedged and sort of became extremely adaptable. And that was kind of, that's the narrative about that. But then there's an older story about where did it come from before that? You know, does it, and, and there's some um, tie in with uh, the monastic traditions of the old uh, Orthodox monks and things like that, you know, Russian Orthodox monks and how they used these breathing techniques in the, you know, monastic traditions so that they could pray all through the, all through the day and into the night and all mm. that kind of stuff as well. So there's this mm. one kind of religious story and there's another one that's kind of like a combative war-based story and both of those come mm. together in the founding founding myth of Sistema. do you know what i mean in that so yeah. that nobody knows 100 percent, you know exactly what the genealogy is it's harder to trace than something like um you know a specific style of kung fu or something like that you know so it's a mm. it's an interesting mix it's uh and sometimes you know that bothers people and in certain stages of my training it's made me think a lot and be like do i really need to know 100 percent you know, exactly, exactly what the unbroken line was and where it comes from, mm. or am mm. I content with knowing that it works and that it does things that are useful and it helps me connect, you know, and things like that. So I think there's been, um, but some people don't, some don't people like that. They, uh, you know, they have to know who their teacher was and who their teacher's teacher was and the, the hierarchy uh, and the, the, yeah, the, the lineage is very important to them. Yeah, yeah. And if they can't trace that, then they get frustrated and then mm-hmm. they go for something that looks simpler, you know, that <laughs> looks, uh, uh, looks more, more you Look, I think it's a, um, it, it's more of a, a, a genealogy that's important at the population level. You know, what do you um, mean? And, uh, well, at a cultural, rather than, you know, this was Master Sifu and, you know, and you know he, his bloody acolyte became the guru Tuganmaputna, or you know, <laughs> and, and then his acolyte was Guru Hathasmolvina or something, you know, and it keeps going on. <laughs> um, yeah, that that sort of I, I think that moves more towards uh, religion than spirit when it starts to get um, more hierarchalized like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, something that's just a a, a way of, of being in living spirit. And, yeah, you know, exactly. a collective understanding of a people. So you've got um in all the Siberian peoples and Slavic peoples and all that that kind of thing in, in, in that area for so long. And a lot of that is kind of uh you know opaque. Mm. Uh, now there's all kinds of uh different stories that have been mapped over the top of that. Um yeah. You know, I, I've I've been talking on this podcast to um, uh, somebody who you know was Latvian, 
but mm. <laughs> you know whose grandmother was Ainu, but you know more on the Russian side of Ainu. Yeah, which people are like, ah, oh, but that's Japanese indigenous, and it's like, well, yeah. you know, look at the map and those northern regions when it goes up, yeah. and it's kind of Kuril yeah. Islands and that, right? They're all, yeah, yeah, they're and there is a, a it's sort of a mm. regional collective culture mm. of Ainu coming out of there, you know, and um, yeah, and so she's had to deal with that, and and then the fact that you know the country that she grew up and Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, and you know, um, there's a lot of messiness around that kind of thing. But when you think of it in terms of, you know, populations and cultures, you know, mm. um, you know so, moving, so it's not moving as important as like which, indi- which individuals, but like who, yeah. which people does this belong to, right? And you know, it's, it's not, just, yeah. and you, you, you can only think of things in terms of, um, of, of movement too, you know, cultures mm. and movement and exchange, because history isn't about, you know, some creator put all these people, every people and every species in one spot. Mm. that was their spot of origin and then you know yeah. things have become disrupted it's you know creation is that it's movement you know so when you're looking it's, at it's a tradition like this it, there's movement and migration going on as well so when i think about the genealogy i'm thinking in terms of you know migratory stuff yeah. happening with you know all those peoples in yeah. you know asia and 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 their way of moving and being in spirit and in those cold countries you know, where the, you know, Cossacks sort of emerged and then what yeah. they were before, like, you know, before the industrialization happened, before the revolution even happened and, and everything else, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, you look at that and then how that gets co-opted by various things and, you know, changed and moves through. Um, but in the it's end, funny you, mentioned you about can still stories feel about, um, that, that link back. You mentioned stories about, you know, some people want to put a stamp on and sort of say, yeah, it started here and then there's a, you know, Almost like a uh, like a, a dominance myth that goes along with like the yeah. spread of some of these things. Well, Once it's like I was they're tracking them. IPR, like yeah. tracking <laughs> patents yeah. or something. You know, it's like no, yeah. that's not how it works, bro. Yeah, there was a so I, I went to um so the biggest training center outside of Moscow in in Sistema is in Toronto in Canada. So yeah. I go up there and that's where I've done majority of my training. I've not even been to mm. Moscow to train with, with Michael. So the guy that you described is Mikhail Bryabko, right? So he's the head of our system, but he teaches out of Moscow and until you know before covid and at least he taught internationally um but so i've been i've trained with him at like week-long training camps when he's been mm. abroad and stuff but i've not actually been to moscow i've done i do done almost all of my training in um toronto with uh, vladimir vasiliev who's his you know student who was you know special forces and moved to uh moved to toronto and started teaching there and just laying seven bells out of local martial artists and then made a mm. rep for himself kind of that way yeah but brilliant guy and and just a phenomenal human being you know just so connected with everybody um but i was staying up there one time to train with vladimir for you know a week or so and uh when i stayed on the cheap with one of his students this bloke called ivan and it was me and my mate brian we drove up from north carolina in like 15 hours and then got there and, uh, and they put us up on the cheap. It was like, you know, 20 bucks a night or something. And, uh, but we got what we paid for. We were essentially in somebody's wardrobe. It was just, <laughs> just like a small walk-in wardrobe. And we just had two sleeping bags in there. And we had to step over three other blokes. And we're like, oh, okay. That's what we did. <laughs> and, uh, and there was this bloke, this, um, this, the guy that, I don't know if he owned the building or what, but he was this massive Russian guy barely hanging over his belt like that but muscular too right and just deeply sinister he was always like in the kitchen just cutting radishes naked from the waist up with a really big knife you know just kind of looking at you funny like that and then every other day you'd drive up you'd, you'd come with a different car right you'd just pull up with a different car outside and you'd be like oh evan you got a new car and he's like no and you'd be like all right then. 
<laughs> it's threatening look. But this one time we're sitting there anyway, he's cutting his radishes or whatever it is, you know, making borscht or something. And um and he he turns to me and, and Brian this point, he goes, You do sistema, it's good. And I'm like, Yeah, we've been training for a while. We try. And he goes, You understand this? You, you know, you can do this. You may be from Ireland or UK or something. He goes, Sometimes you see these black guys, they do sistema and they cannot do. And and I'm sitting there, I'm like, Yeah. There's a black guy in my group and he kicks the shit out of me. You know, he's the best one in, you know, on the East yeah. Coast. You know, he's really my mate Roy Hatcher. He's he's actually a wee black guy and he beats the crap out of me all the time. I'm like, he's actually really, really good. And he goes, no, 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 he does not understand. He goes, listen, one time whole world was just Russian, just Russian peoples. Like, he goes, and everybody <laughs> speak Russian. He goes, anywhere you put finger on map, speak Russian, speak Russian. And he goes, and then bad things come. People separate, they start speaking other languages, not Russian, they change, he goes, and then things is bad. And I'm like, it sounds like you know a lot about history. Do you, <laughs> you study history in that? And he goes, some people study history from books. Some people get directly from God. Do you understand? <laughs> he just said he stops cutting and he's holding this knife. He goes, do you, and he didn't even pause. He goes, some people directly from God. Do you understand? Like that. And I'm like, I understand the words that are coming out your face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and he left me like it was an awkward standoff, and then he, and he grinned and he thought it made his point. And but it was just so funny to me that he was so adamant. You know, he's like, "This is a mm-hmm. Russian thing, and it belongs to these old Russian peoples." And you know, when the world was great, it was mostly just Caucasian people doing their thing, and then something went wrong. It's like it was some weird synthesis of i don't know the, some some religious mentality that was in there but also mm. just kind of of this almost the conquest myth do you know what i mean like wrapped into that and i didn't know what to do with it you know he was a, and he didn't even train he wasn't he talked about sistema but i've never seen him training he's just kind of you know around people that did it and stuff but it really took me aback at the time and i'm like this is interesting i'm like so so there's a there's knowledge here and there's a group of people who train it but that doesn't mean that necessarily being around it and training it makes you makes you open right magically it doesn't make you intelligent and make you you know do those things there's still that yeah. space for you to absorb fear and bullshit and wrong story do you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> right, and do all it. those kinds of things so that was a real that was an eye-opener to me and it it was a good warning for me not to be too much of a fanatic do you know what i mean about the mm. whole thing you know mm. you know listen, no, i didn't listen to everything 100 percent after that <laughs> yeah yeah there's um you know, it's 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 often like when I tell people, oh, I'm, I'm going to be talking to this uh, sistema follower, and it's like, oh, you know, you know, they're they're weird. We got we got a mixed rep, like, definitely. Online. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> Russian Jedi sort of <laughs> weird stuff going on there. Um, you know, and I, I guess there's a difference between story and mythology. Hmm. You know, and and I. And and I guess the guy that you just described it, that uh, that sort of goes over that line, you know. Definitely, um, yeah. But it's it's trying to figure out what good story is, and it's I mean I guess straight away everyone's alarm bells would have been the racism yeah. side of what he was saying because that's where our focus is, you yeah. know, from where we're standing right now, you know. Mm. Um, but you know, you got to understand he's from a completely different world as well. So you know, I'm picking up uh, warning bells from other things, and for me, it's it's about that hierarchy um, of you know this idea of receiving, mm, receiving, you know, knowledge, wisdom, spirit, you know, story, 
uh, you know, from a higher source, hmm. you know, receive rather than that being something that's grounded in the place that we're all standing in. Hmm. That it's yeah. actually, you know, it must be, you know, approved and passed on from a higher source like that. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, and even that, that functioned okay as long as it was a collective, you know. It was everybody, but as soon as everybody suddenly had this individual, you know, when you're coming down from that uh, that Russian Orthodox stuff, but then also the Protestantism, you know, suddenly people are having this individualized uh, experience of spirit, you know, mm. whereby they can read the Bible for themselves, they can yeah. interpret from themselves, they can pray for themselves alone. They've got personal and Jesus. They, <laughs> yeah, and, and that they have their individual connection to God. And there's something about that that sort of facilitated and enabled industrialization, uh, particularly particularly um, the military industrial complex, mm. you know, it, which kind of required everybody to be, you know, because those things don't work unless if people are still in solid communities, people are still mm. in villages, people are still taking care of places together. Um, a standing army doesn't work. Mm. A seasonal army works, but you can't have a permanent standing army. Mm. So they just because they because they're always going to care more about their place than they are about yeah so the, so you have to thing, break yeah. people down uh, into individuals and you have to separate them from their place and their connection with land and everything else and I mm. guess that's um yeah and so you your path through and and and, and with sistema it, you know it's interesting because it's kind of uh, reconnecting people back into place yeah in terms of you know spirit but but in quite a material way. Yeah, I guess you know, connecting I mean, through the body and that sort of haptic consciousness, whereby your awareness is is spreading out, um, you know, initially through your senses, but then beyond them and into yeah. the place around you until you kind of merge with the place. Yeah, definitely. I, th there's a huge emphasis in Sistema. I mean, it, it's weird, you know. I know that Sistema takes a lot of stick on online, and people look at some of the exercises and the drills that people do, and they're like, "That's not yeah. a martial art." And you know what? There's there's some truth in that statement. In in a lot mm. of ways, it's it's not a martial art. It's it's an operating system, and it's a way of it's a way of kind of relating to the world and practicing mm. relating to the world to to cast off layers of artifice so that you can better understand interactions and, and one set of those interactions is conflict right and so you can yeah. you can use it to to better enable appropriate responses to verbal conflict or physical conflict and if you really drill down into it you can practice hard that way and we just feel like martial arts is a really good way to test that right i mean you can pontificate all you want on a cognitive level about how how much you understand about yourself and about people and your emotions and you're like emotions are constructed in a you know as in a soup between the limbic system and the prefrontal cortex and you know they're getting some there's some argument going backwards and forwards between those things and then it's referring memory and some other things and, and this is what an emotion is but as i understand that i can circumvent it and i can get over the top of it and or i can meditate my way out of it in small doses and like okay now let's see what happens when somebody punches you in the mouth or like you've got four people lying on you or you, yeah. or you feel crushed or pressured in some other way, what you actually feel is an overwhelming emotion that you're not quite aware of what to do with. You, you suddenly mm. don't understand yourself and your body anymore. You, you feel like you had certain expectations of who you are and how you respond, and those are completely wrong. And so the, the story that comes after that, for, for those people that try and you know, explain away all of emotion and all of kind of human experience in terms of cognitive versus affective and all those things, is that... Okay, in that instance, what happened was a amygdala hijack 
and you've just gone into this animalistic brain and animals are less than us. Do you know what I mean? There's another hierarchy mm. there. Mm. And so you went into stupid lizard brain and then that basically forced you to have leave of your higher brain and your consciousness and then you couldn't do anything about it and now you're just a stimulus response thing and then you're like okay well then which are we you you know are you saying <laughs> you know mm. are we a whole entity are we a whole being who can try and understand what we are or are you just sort of saying there's a cop out at the point when you're in danger and in sistema we we don't say that like in some martial arts they do they say that you know you get beyond a certain point of panic and you're just going to be gross motor skill and adrenaline and cortisol. And all you can hope to do is big movements that smash and run away because you're going to be that panicked. In Sistema, we don't accept that. And we when we practice being in the situations that and initially they do produce cortisol and adrenaline, a lot of panic and fear. And then we we drill that and we experience it on purpose. And we try and get a complete picture of who we are, like emotions, warts and all, right? The whole thing. And then we work outwards from that. So like the, instead of learning how to defend yourself against, you know, a jab and a right cross being like, okay, first step here and then cover up and then do that. We're like, first thing that happens is somebody puts their fist on your face and they push it as hard as they can. And they just keep doing it until you get irritated. Right. And then they pra you know, practice hitting you in the face. And then you see what your response is. You see what your current state is and what your tendencies are. And then you actually work outwards from there. So there's this, there's this acknowledgement and even emphasis that you, you're, what you think of as your higher brain and your, you know, the rider mm. sitting on top of the elephant, right, hasn't got anywhere near as much control as you think, that you need to respect and understand the elephant. And that's what's really riding the show most of the time. Mm. Mm. And then your job is to synthesize the body with the brain, not to try and get control of the body. Do you know what I mean? So we're not yeah, like beating it. an animal into submission. We're really trying to acknowledge the whole piece. And then once well, you've done that, you have a chance at, at you know, at connecting with other people. Other you're people being, like you're being in a response. So when when violence is done against you, it's that's not just happening against you. There are externalities to that that you can't even see as well. You know? Sure. Yeah. Um, and being in a response is a very different thing to reacting. Yeah. From reacting, and pretty much, um, if you're if you're in a response, then it could be the worst thing ever that's happening to you. You could get maimed up, but you're not going to have the same trauma if you're, yeah. you know, you're being in, in that response because you're genuinely inhabiting what's going on and yeah. you're not just reacting in the moment. Um, you know, I've got, since the last time we talked, I've, I've been uh, training up with this, um, with this fella for a while now and he's had to break me down to like real foundations, mm. you know, so he, he put all his, he's got all posters of babies <laughs> Up on on the wall in his studio because he reckons babies know exactly what to do. So you know, um, everything he does, yeah. like with the mm. foundational stuff, it's taking you back to baby again. Like um, kind of crawling and no, yeah, crawling your basic way like, yeah. of yeah, your way of moving. Yeah, you know, right the way through to toddler, um, every yeah. way of moving, and then and you know where the movement starts and, and ends. But not just that, but the the motivation for it. Mm. You know, what's the baby's motivation for wanting to reach up there to start? Like uh, everything and, yeah. and the, 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 the response that they have. So, yeah, he said to break me down and start me right from scratch. But that's mm -hmm. the thing the other day he said, oh, no, I've been listening to some of your, you know, podcasts and that, and you, you're always in response and, and in control and in that, in that realm and in, in your, you know, field. You know, mm. you always 
you always have a response and you're in that and you move with the person that's relational and everything else. And he said, but I try to, yeah, but when we all fall out of it. Yeah. yeah but when we're <laughs> training, you know, um, every time I hit you, you're in reaction, you know? Mm. And I, so I, 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 we have to get you there to yeah. where, where you're in that uh, real response. Yeah. You know, that's actually walking your talk of being in relation to place. Yeah. yeah. And, well, that, and that's that was so interesting. That, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, keep going. No, yeah. And, and, and that's where I find it so interesting because, you know, initially, when I mean, you talk about motivations, like why does a baby reach out for something? It's because mm. it wants it. It just fucking wants it. And that's it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's uncomplicated. And it's as if yeah. the movement comes from inside the bones. It's just like, give me that, you know? But when we try and pick something up, there's like hesitation. There's like a preparation. There's just like, <laughs> there's like yeah. serious, there's layers of, you know, feeling like who's looking at me doing this. Do I want it? Do I not want it? And we, we complicate things a lot of the time yeah. until we get drunk yeah. or something. And then we're fine. Then we move like babies again. Do you know what I mean? Like we're disinhibited yeah. in a certain way. Right. And there's that, Once there's that weird God of yeah. God of drunks who looks after I like you <laughs> yeah. seen like sometimes, you know, you've seen a drunk guy get hit by a car and then just get off, get up and walk. Unfortunately. Away. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. It's you know, like, what? <laughs> and next day, no bruise even, you know, he's just felt yeah. like I get hit by a car. What? Ah, so that's exactly it. So that's on a, on a physical level. That's what we're trying to train to do is actually to regress mm. a little bit and remove mm. these layers of reactive fear and tension that live in the mm. body first and then find yeah. their way into the brain. And once you can get yourself to that place, you know, you can just fall over at any angle and, you know, flop on the floor like a baby and you don't get hit. Um, mm. Or you can absorb impacts, not because you're bracing up, you know, but because everything is just absorbed like a water bag, you know, it goes yeah. all the way through you. Yeah. So that that's like the base state from which you can, you can start to see the corollaries to that in mm. everyday life and conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like when you, yeah. you realize how much you react to people, you know, how much you're just defending your ego or pride or do you know what I mean? Or, or just defending that idea that you're either better or worse than somebody else. Like mm. if you talk about, mm. you know, that principle, the, the greater than or less than principle, mm. you know, I've, for me, I understand that I've got ego and sometimes if somebody challenges something and I feel like I know about it, you know, the science of it or something, then I'll, I'll stay on it a bit too long sometimes, you know, mm. like I'll have to make my point and have to make mm. sure somebody knows. And I, but I, through systemic training, I've caught myself in that more often, a mm. bit more often, you know? Um, and I realized that why am I doing that? Why do, am I trying to make position myself as yeah. great a knowledge, right? Why is it so important to me to have well, that look, be all, the end point um, of the conversation? It's like, you know, all, and the same on the systems, other side as well. <laughs> all systems become fragile when they become disconnected from other systems. Yeah. You know, and that, that's just a, that's a law. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, of complexity. That, that's just, that's how it works. That's one of those, you know, basic laws of being in the land. It's all, it's just the physics of your reality. You know, yeah. you become brittle, you become fragile when, uh, with separation. Yeah. So it's that sort of reunification. And the exercise we did earlier, you know, it, it was kind of, um, you know, gaining an awareness and and being in in a state of connection with everything around you, yeah. You know, all into the room and then even down into the land, you know, beneath and everything that's there and everything around, uh, the air, everything else, uh, to make sure that that sort of fluid self other boundary was was right on over on the on the side of being of quite unified with everything around. Yeah. And, you know, you, you have that feeling of, yeah, I could get hit right now with a baseball bat and um, and that wouldn't just be shattering this year. 
you know, that, yeah. that that would ripple out through, yeah, you know, that energy it still would hurt. It still hurt, but it might not throughout break all of this, you know. Um, well, yeah. and, and even if it was just about um, uh, a sense of being able to make sense of that trauma, yeah, you know, in that instant and in the immediate aftermath, you know, most trauma is about, you know, a failure to make meaning, a failure for that to come into your story. Absolutely. You know, this uh, failure to deal with the dissonance of, oh my God, this should not be happening to me. Yeah. To me, I have mm -hmm. rights and this isn't fair. And I yeah. charitably give over there and there and there. Karmically, it's not my turn to have something bad happen to me. Mm. <laughs> no. right. But um, yeah, but I, I think, you know, yeah, there is no ledger. People don't really understand that and <laughs> not really you know, how it works in nature, yeah and <laughs> and you know violence just is mm -hmm. it is in the world around you don't have a right to live without it um <clears throat> it's a difficult you know, thing isn't it because that's it, not what's taught then but yeah but it's it's been part of the individualization of people so the mm. idea of human rights it started you know after the french revolution mm. and you know all those revolutionaries who would you know trying to put together new industrial hierarchies or pre-industrial, you know, to move into industrialization, you know, hierarchies sure. in France there, and they're coming up with all the rights of man and everything else. And, and really the nature of human rights came through there, what it's all based on, and that, mm. that highly individualised thing, uh, which ironically is bringing people under vast monocultures at the mm. same time um yeah. so basically and it came it came up with the jewish question it's um whether jews were allowed to have human rights in this new world mm. so as the rights of man were being developed so they debated this for a while and and the the idea that came out of that that the most intrigued me and that made me go aha that's it right there was this idea that well yes jews jews can have human rights individually but not as a community hmm. so the jewish community does not have the right to exist but jewish individuals do interesting yeah because that would bring them into the big monocultural project of nationalism hmm. and of moving towards these great nations these ideas of you know not just city states with empires you know hmm. um but that big movement that the world was moving towards of creating nations and of that being the next iteration of control and, and governance. Um, Did you feel like that, that was a conscious process that they were they were really trying to drive it that way, or was it just well, yeah, when you, I mean, when you look at all the civilizations, yeah, when you look at all the theorists of the time, it was and and it was you know, I mean, they had lofty ideals, it was about you know, um, you know, moving, pushing back the darkness. Of uncertainty and superstition and um you know oppression and you know all this sort of thing like that yeah and you know creating this this great marvelous future you know through uh technology that would be controlled and manipulated by you know those people who had the god-given sort of uh superiority um you know to be the elites you know over you know the struggling masses and the the herd which was mm. interesting. I mean, it's kind of how revolutions go. Revolution is just usually another turn off the wheel in a Game of Thrones mm. kind of sense, you know. Um, mm. It's just, you know, all a revolution ever is is a establishment of a, a new hierarchy and a new yeah. elite. It just sort of yeah. shifts power from one elitist, one elite group to the next. And you if, keep if seeing that. 
And it means that, I mean, you, you can't have communities, you can't have villages, you can't have, because when you have that, people have food sovereignty. And when they have food sovereignty, they don't have to depend on your bread lines. They don't have to, there's nothing you can hold over their head to force them uh, into battle mm. uh, beyond just the seasonal sort of feud that they've been doing forever in feudalism. You know, seasonally, you could force people into battle and they'd have to grab their shovels and, and go off and try and fight bloody <laughs> you know knights in armor with their shovels yeah. etc but um you know now before this industrialization the military industrial complex you weren't able you weren't able to force people into a permanent standing army um mm. but then all of a sudden you could and, and yeah. france pretty much fought the entire world and won most of the time after yeah. they got that in place you know mm. and um you know that was concurrent with what prussia was doing and then, you know, but of course, the pipeline between Prussia and the United States, there was a lot of cross-pollination there. So they were really building up the way of having a um, having a, a totalitarian sort of re regimic sort of structure that um, at the same time felt like freedom, hmm. you know, um, something <laughs> that people would willingly come under, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting. We were talking about the story, the story of Sistema, you know, coming from that... Um, you know, uh, from that Slavic sort of way, which was quite, um, you know, people from land, from the land yeah. and their way of being in spirit on that land and then moving through this Cossack thing. But then the mm. Cossacks, how, in, in the ways that they were kind of used as um, auxiliary troops almost, or but kind yeah. of, you know, special forces almost, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, by the Tsarists and all that sort of thing. But And then, you know, gradually moving through, and you can see every tradition has been sort of squoze <laughs> mm. through this. It's been through the ringer. Um, but adaptive adaptive traditions, you know, they shift and change and make themselves what they need to be in order to be useful and to have continuity, you know, yeah. coming through. And you can see that in a lot of traditions. Yeah. <clears throat> now, I can definitely see that a lot in Sistema. There's, it's a lot, um, you know, it's... I think that's probably one of the things that attracted me to it, despite the fact that I'd done a lot of other martial arts before, right? I, I mean, mm. I loved doing Aikido for a lot of years. You know, I lived in Japan and studied that, and I liked the culture that surrounded it, and there was a lot of beauty in the in it, you know, as as a as a system. But it wasn't adaptive. It wasn't um, it wasn't a living, breathing thing, right? It was like it had some history, not not an enormously deep history, actually, as a comparatively recent creation, really. Um, mm. But it, it rejoiced in the history of a specific time. You know, it's almost like it was frozen. It's just like this was this was the golden age <laughs> of yeah. being like, you know, in Bushido and stuff. And it's like, this is what you should aspire to. It's never going to yeah. get any better than this. It was never any better afterwards. This is the ideal. But well, it, was an artifact. it was an artifact yeah. that sort of ended up being taken up all these fanboys. And what's interesting, because yeah. the whole fanboy movement came out of that, um, uh, was it the otaku? The, uh, you know, during, you know, uh, Japan's, like, you know, golden years on the rise of their um, their economy. Oh, Tokugawa? So, yes, you Tokugawa during the that, Tokugawa um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. No, sorry. Um, during, I mean, recently with the neoliberalism. So oh, after okay. sorry, yeah. Hiroshima, yeah. when they reformed and, and they've become, you know, and they, they yeah. enjoyed a big surge of, uh, of, reconstruction. of capital yeah. and, and, and everything mm -hmm. else. Um, yeah, but there was, and of course, then the crash. So you had the otaku, which is all these disaffected young, young men online. Oh, sorry, yeah, so otaku. They, they yeah. ended up in, 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 in bloody, you know, 4chan, you know, which became 8chan, which, you know, and you know where that went. 
um, and that sort of cross-pollinated across the states too. But the whole fanboy thing rose out of those basically nerds. Hmm. So the Japanese, that that class of sort of Japanese, um, you know, middle class young men who just never hmm. got laid. That that was that was where the nerd thing came from, where the fanboy thing came from. And Aikido hmm. was part of that. Uh, was one of the artifacts. You reckon? Is that how? It yeah, I, I think so. Like, I, I think, I think, um, like the way that's come across into the um, into the into the sort of popular culture and the fanboy culture. Like, they all do aikido and stuff like that. Um, but the, but they they want a martial art which is sort of frozen in time, you know, from from a samurai kind of tradition time, mm. something that hasn't. Um, think so. There's this idea that they have some kind of superpower from the past. Mm, and yeah and this is the danger with you know all of these things you know where you end up with you know a fellow going the you know once a long time ago everybody in the world was russian right <laughs> you know what i mean everybody's yeah. looking back to a golden age you know yeah. where things were better and and of course that's how you get maga and all the rest coming through um yeah i don't know this is just this is just a theory but you mm. i mean you look at that and you look at um you know, the appeal of Steven Seagal, you know, mm. to a certain kind of person. And he's mm. like, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I work for the CIA, you know. I also cook. And show them how to do it. <laughs> so they know how to just, you know, disarm a man with a gun like that. I, I go in and I, I help the help out the sheriff's department and, you know, like, well, I know, think, it's I, like, I oh, think... He's, he's, he's good. He knows his thing. And, you know, like the, there's that appealing yeah. kind of, uh, you know, right wing kind of misogynistic nerd fanboy yeah. kind of thing that comes out from these things that are frozen in time. Um, but to be fair, I, th- I think that there's probably, I mean, that's is there's there's definitely an aspect to that. I think around, you know, I remember when Steven Seagal hit the scene in the movies and stuff, and before that, yeah. it was all Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee and you know, yeah, yeah. fun stuff. You know, like people kicking each other in the head in in you know. <laughs> remarkable ways which is really fun to watch them the, on the movies and then all of a sudden there's this bloke doing these little small movements and snapping people and throwing them around and stuff and people are like oh yeah, that yeah. must be the real shit you know and that was one of the things that kind of hooked me on the idea a little bit at the time you know and i trained it for a while um but it, i think that that hero worship of people with s- the secret source so you don't have to train and actually really figure out what to do you know that there's yeah. secret techniques that just allow you to circumvent everything that's human and and do it i, I don't think that's restrained to aikido and the and the otaku mm. culture mm. in japan i mean you've got the same things in stories of you know legendary stories of guys in china you know in like you know, oh you didn't know about junfang wang who had magnetic arms and could you know push people through doors and you know all stuff like that you know yep. I, think, I feel like there's an aspect of that in most traditional martial arts i'll say probably maybe not in you know mma and like modern ones and things but because they're more like i just want to see it work you know with a guy bludgeoning him on the floor and that's my litmus test is like how quick how quickly could he bludgeon another brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt or something you know um but with traditional martial arts there's i've yet to come across one that hasn't got that some aspect of the hero worship and the golden age in which everybody was better and maybe there's some kernel of truth in that maybe there really Mm. were people with abilities that were so Mm so different from the ones that we've now achieved with our diluted forms of training maybe there's some kernel but you know you got to take all that with a pinch of salt and certainly you can't build a culture around it you know <laughs> you shouldn't build a culture or, or an identity <laughs> around that do you know what i mean about being like oh my, my real thing is that i'm going to be a marvel superhero do you know what i mean like 
you know, yeah. it, it is an odd thing, definitely. But yeah, it was a weird thing. It's funny, not only how quickly he rose, but also how quickly he fell. You know, Stephen Seagal, you know, he's on the scene and then he's, he's proclaiming himself a bodhisattva or something. And he's, do you know what I mean? He's like, he's yeah. in, in these on the reality TV shows, like, I've also been a cop for a long time. And he, you yeah, know, yeah. he went from action hero <laughs> who probably had the goods to laughing stock in quite a short time, really. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. He ran that curve quite quickly. <laughs> ah, he really did. And he, he also, uh, he had quite a large uh, role in supporting the 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 rollout of that um, that mutant message down under uh, book that exploded on the scene. So um, was that? Yeah. Well, I so I, I I'm I'm quite close with a number of elders from Western Australia who were um, who were involved in the response to that book. So there's this idea of a mutant message down under this this book where Not aware of this, this white white lady from the United States came over and she, she was a new age lady and she uh, proclaimed herself like, uh, all right, all of the last of the traditional Aborigines are dying out and they're like, you know, um, you know, disappearing into the world of spirit and they've named me as the saviour and the inheritor of uh, Aboriginal culture and spirituality and given me the power to transform into animals basically and so okay. she wrote a, wrote a book about that and Where, is this um, recent How was it when was it it's like oh this was uh about a decade ago you know but it was how, it was, a, it was a horrendous thing yeah well it's um <laughs> there was a lot of backlash you know from from our mobs going oh well we're still here and so a lot of the elders <laughs> like um i am paulina was one of the ones uh and she, she's been on this podcast as well uh actually talking about this too you know so her response there you know she she had to go there and she she was there and she had to go to the events and you know Stephen Cigar was there and and he's an indigenous person but he's somehow supporting this weird you know um new age message of that's basically you know genociding our entire spirituality and you know passing it on to this white lady who can now turn into animals at will and all this sort of stuff um yeah so she went there and dealt with that as well there were a number of elders that did well, they wow. tried to, but you know it's very difficult to get uh, past Seagal's entourage. <laughs> but yeah, so he was supporting that weirdly. Um, I don't know. He did this. I remember. Did you ever see the film he did where he was like uh, an Inuit dude, you know, who was sort of fighting the fighting big oil? I, th- I think maybe I tuned yeah, out I around that point like when he started doing sh- straight to TV stuff. That was about yeah. Was well, he started wearing this weird kind of indigenous like. Like it sort of felt like this indigenous, like Parker. Okay. He kind of bedazzled himself <laughs> somehow, and I, I think part of it was to sort of try and cover up the fact that he was like getting proper fat too at that stage. Um, yeah, yeah, he did his best. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a that was a terrible thing. But there's something about that appropriation um, of things where it's no longer an exchange, but a kind of a I don't know, there's a kind of a death. Uh, it's in this extractive, um, yeah, this extractive relation. Um, yeah. And, but that's part of that can only happen when you separate from place, which I keep coming back to because I want to return to this idea of um, of this kind of distributed cognition, this yeah. place-based distributed cognition, um, <laughs> which the first time I spoke to you, I, I had a, quite a strong sense that um, that you were speaking from that. Yeah. You know, um, and and not from anything that you've, uh, you know, appropriated from Rus, 
<laughs> culture right. or anything else mm. because you're still very, you're very much in the place where you are um, at mm. any time and and your cognition is quite and your awareness is through is all through that and you kind of you had no problem tracking some of the things that I was talking about at the time as well um, yeah yeah so I wouldn't mind hearing you talk a bit more about that in terms of uh, cognition consciousness awareness um, as a distributed uh, modality yeah, I, I, I think it's, I mean, I think it's largely what you've said. It's 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 just the recognition of the, there is no separation. Do you know what I mean? If you start, mm. I think, with the assumption that cognition has the boundaries of your of your Swede, <laughs> that it just lives here and that's all it is, and that yours lives over there and yours, right? Um, and then that's the way that we interact with the world, that I have my experience of the world, you have your experience of the world, and never the twain shall meet, right? Mm. If you start from that premise all the time, you're always going to, get roadblocked right in in how much you're able to understand people in how much you're able to um i don't know it sounds cheesy to say interact authentically with people it sounds like the wrong word because that word's just been co-opted for all kinds of shit now and i yeah. no, do you know it sounds like the right I do word. Have I don't the know sense, what, sense of what you're saying though. yeah 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 something yeah. like that you know the it, the interactions become unclean they become like a, a like a competition for you to superimpose your your view of things on the world do you know what I mean? Mm, like kind mm. of th that kind of sense. And, and uh, there's been a lot of books written about this and, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of like Barbara Tversky. She came on my podcast talking about how, you know, we, um, the, the relationship between thought and shape and location, as you point out that we don't, we don't actually think verbally at all that shape and structure and time actually denote everything about how we think. And just the words and the language actually come after that. They're just like an emergent thing that we, stick onto it. You know, we, we have this mental ease of shape and position and time and distance and relationship. And then we, when we're babies, that's all we have. Right. And then we learn and we align that. Right. And we, and we assign that to some things. And if we're learning Tagalog, we assign those words and we've learned, you know, English, it's another set of words, but we've always got this shape, distance, relationship, time-based thing going on in our heads all the time. And the words come after and we just convince ourselves that the words are important and they're actually what thinking is and cognition, but they're not. Mm. They're just mm. like, they're just a way of us decoding our mental ease so that we can talk to other people. You know, so it's almost like we both have our shapes. I turn mine into English and so do you. Our English kind of interacts here. It gets all fucked up and then it yeah. comes back and we make new shapes. And this, that what really, again, every aspect of this that I've been thinking about or experiencing once some part of it jumped out of sand talk, it was like, you know, the metaphor, I can't, uh, I can't remember which mind that was, the dreaming mind it was when we talking mm. about the relationship between metaphor and reality. And I was like, there it is. Like um, the metaphors we use, right? So we have a shape and we try and use a metaphor with a specific language that's constrained by the language. And then somebody else picks up on that. They turn it back into a shape. And that metaphor can denote almost everything about what happens between the two people and what happens going forward. Do you know what I mean? Mm, but if you don't mm -hmm. recognize that and you just think we're speaking a language and it should just be clear, then you lose something. Right. So, but anyway, sorry, I digress on that one, but no, that's, that's but, part of it. Yeah. That's part of, yeah, the so, of it. Yeah. So, so the, the thing is I read a lot about this and I've thought a lot about this. Right. Um, but I, I feel like the, we need to have a conscious experience of it, right? There needs to be some physical practice that can help us understand what it is to have a distributed consciousness, right? And, and actually mm. see what it does and see how it can work. Almost like you have to have some proof in the pudding because mm. the opposite has been drilled into us as a culture for so long, right? The opposite, 
that there isn't a distributed consciousness, that there's one of mm. these and it's in your head and you die and, and that's it, it's gone. And there's just millions of those all over the world. And so if you believe that at some fundamental level, along with that goes, it's every, it's every bugger for himself. You know? yeah. If that's what you believe, it's, it's, almost, it's almost inevitable that that's what you're going to end up believing. It's like, yeah, maybe mm. I'll team up and help people out if they're in my family and maybe I'll help them survive and maybe I'll join this group of people to fight a war if I feel like they're threatening my security. But at the end of the day, if you don't, if you believe that you're just an individual and this is all there is, then it's kind of every man for himself at some point, right? But if you don't, if you, if you start to be convinced of an alternative in which that there is a distributed consciousness and that you just can't see it most of the time, right? That, and that you can be shown little physical snapshots of that that start to crack like little holes in the story. That, do you know what I mean? That start to kind of poke holes in that cultural story that's come down to us. Then it can open up some really interesting things. And I want to be quite explicit about it. I don't feel like I'm all that way along this path, right? I feel like I've, I've, I've poked cracks in my structure and sometimes it's uncomfortable because you want to fall back on the, on the structure that you've been taught, right? You're like, I want it all to make sense again. And sometimes it doesn't when you start doing this, but, but enough cracks are formed that I can see more and not a, I enjoy the interactions that I have and the state that I'm in and the conversations that I have when this happens. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and I want to spend more and more time in that place because I feel like that's, that's the real place and that the rest of it is in some sort of artifice that I either built around it myself or was taught to me or some combination of the mm. two. But I don't mm. know if that makes sense. Well, it's, yeah, but it's what's missing now is story. <clears throat> you know, I mean, to be place-based isn't, isn't about, you know, being in a place that's been your place forever and always mm. will be. You know, um, a lot of people get hung up on that. But it's about being in where you are, you know, because we are, we, the land moves, the land changes, and so do people, and so does culture and everything else. But mm. you need to have the stories uh, as you transition through that. And mm. usually as there's cataclysms, especially the one you were talking about before with the sort of race to the bottom, the every man for himself thing, you know, you, you need the um, uh, cautionary tales. And the cautionary tales are the things that uh, anchor us during times of violent transition like mm. that so it's like um it's like that way of experiencing impact you know in, in your martial art um but where there's no trauma that comes with that because mm. physically you're making sense of that in the space with where the energies are going it's the same with cultures that's what story does mm. story is the thing that distributes the the um distributes the cognition distributes the reality and the way of being uh, throughout all the people, not just the people who are there right now, uh, but mm. also the generations are, are coming. You know? So your ancestors and your descendants, you know, it's, it's something that provides continuity, you know, yeah. um, through that, you know, through all the people who are going to be uh, caring for that place or that land. So, so is the pathology, you think, like an absence of story or is it that, that there specifically are wrong stories that are getting pushed out? And do those wrong stories, do they just kind of slip in to fill the gap? Do you know what I mean? In the absence yeah. of real stories to explain people's sense of meaning and experience, is it, do those things just emerge because we need something and so it just mm. kind of comes? Or is it the case that it's just so easy for one or two people or a mm. group of people to seeking power or something to create yeah. a story because they see that there's an opportunity. Do you know what I mean? They're like, yeah. this story would fit the bill. You know, I mean, this would give them meaning and then yeah. allow them to mobilize behind me. Or is, I mean, I guess it could be both, not yeah. either or, right? Well, look, you, you can always tell uh, right story and wrong story. 
Um, you know, uh, so w- with right story, um, right story for a start, it's not focused on, uh, it, it's not serving individuals. Hmm. You know, it's not serving a powerful group at the expense of another. So you can always tell from, if you dig around in the externalities of anything, so any act of violence that you do, you know, mm. you can know if that's something that you're doing for yourself, yeah. you know, ego-driven, et cetera, um, when you look at the externalities of that, what are going to be the knock-on effects of that? You know, so if you do something, <clears throat> so, you know, this fellow might be really asking for it and he's making all kinds of trouble and you come in white night, you knock him out and that sorts him out, that teaches him a lesson, you know. You know, it might be someone who's, you know, sexually assaulting women in a bar or something like that, and you think, well, he needs to lose some teeth. So every mm-hmm. time he looks in the mirror for the rest of his life, he remembers me and uh, thinks to keep his mitts off. But that's not the end of that story. You know, there are externalities that come from that. There are externalities beyond that. You yeah, know, he might go home and beat maybe, his wife more or something. Well, you know, he maybe, might, maybe he won't yeah. just beat her this time. Mm. When he goes home, and probably he won't. That'll go further. So yeah. in the in the the country you're living in right now, um, you know there are mass shootings all the time. You know, like yeah. um, you know, every few days, depending on your definition of how many people have to be in a mass shooting. But it's generally yeah. accepted that it's about four, at least four people. That's happening yeah. all the time. Fifty uh, percent of all those mass shooters are people who've been convicted of violence against women. Uh, violent crimes against women, you know, domestic really? and otherwise. Yeah. I didn't know that. 50% of all mass shooters. So, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> you know, um, th- this is huge because the externalities uh, of, of our violence to each other as mm-hmm. males, uh, the externalities are usually visited upon women and children. Mm-hmm. So any act that you do, if it's in right story, if there's a right story with that, then it's something where the externalities will, um, you know. So I don't know if you're if you're letting that guy off the hook, and you're like, you know, you're going to calm him down and stop him and buy him a beer and be his best mate. There's externalities mm. to that as well. Yeah. So what is that? Um, what is that? Um, that closed but not too rock hard fist uh, that needs to come mm. to that. What is the yeah. right story? You know, uh, behind that where you're. Yeah. Because, you know, you create an entanglement when, you, when there's an act of violence or when there's any intervention that you have or even your, ob- act of ob- your observation. If you observe yeah. that and do nothing, that itself, the act of observing it is an intervention. So there's yeah. an entanglement now and there's an obligation and there's a story that you all need to play out together. So mm. what is that story going to be mm. um, whereby uh, the externalities the entropy that's produced there needs to go into a closed loop where the damage, the entropy, the, you know, breakdown of complexity that's occurring in this system here is actually becoming, is something else's lunch, is actually uh, making more creation in another place, in another system. It's it's nourishing something else. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you make that manure there? Well, that's yeah. so. It's interesting and you say about that's, you know, the the that's the role of story. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I mean, sorry, a bit of an aside from the from the story, but it's interesting you say about the fist. You literally the phrasing that you used was like, "What is the 
the fist that you need that's not too much and it's not too little. It's just mm. the right amount, right? Mm. That's that's an example of like a physical exercise yeah. that we do in Sistema in order to try and understand mm. that action, right? Or mm. that way of reasoning. And, and it's literally, yeah. you'll just take somebody, stand them straight and you'll hit them a few times mm. just with your arm mm. like it's a bludgeon, right? Mm. And then you'll tighten the fist up and you will hit them with like some malice in your heart. Mm. You know, you'll mm. conjure it first and you'll be like, I really don't like you, you irritate me and you'll, you'll hit them. Yeah. And what, and it feels, and the other person, you know, we practice absorbing strikes and to the other person, when you hit them that way, it feels sharp, right? It feels like mm. a concentrated burst and it gives them energy in some way, right? It hits mm. them and it, it motivates them to come up and to hit you back. Like it really yeah. motivates conflict. But if you do, if you do the opposite, which is you slightly soften it, you've got enough structure in your wrist that it's not going to bend and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. But it's just like a heavy fist that you can just kind of hit in. Um, but you, when you hit them, you you hit them as if you're trying to almost embrace them, right? Like you're mm. trying to give them a hug mm. all the way down to like the feet and the whole body. You don't hit them in like the sternum or the solar plexus. You hit them in the whole body. And that's mm. the feeling that you have. You go, Boof. when you hit them with that, it's it gives them a different feeling. It makes them feel like sitting down and like yeah. shutting up and just like it, it takes the yeah. fight out of you, not because you can't breathe, but because you feel dumb for the for the for the organized tension that you have, like the, yeah. the intent that you had, you realized that it was childish and it was it's knocking you into a, and, an awareness and it's not of you. wrong story. Yeah, yeah it smashes you, know I mean? you out of your wrong story and, and, and back the thing into the is right one. That it wasn't yeah. you that did yeah. that blow. It, it it wasn't you that that brought that realization into him. It was it was the place and it was that spirit, the mother you know that landscape it was it was yeah. that entity of place that did it but you've got to be a conduit for it right so you yeah. have to you have to clean yourself in the way that we were practicing yeah. in order to be a conduit for that because if you're not if you're unclean yeah. and you have a wrong story and you hit somebody else you just mm. transfer more of it mm. backwards do you know what i mean you just create yeah. more problems but if you, can you know what you clean yourself and hit somebody it goes you don't even need to have a story to fill yeah. that ecological niche in the narrative right. landscape yeah. all you have to do is keep an awareness an existence and openness of that ecological niche exactly because it is it is a niche and it doesn't have to be filled immediately it's just like this is a space here this is a gap you and i do not have good story together with this place and you know uh this place through me is just uh, you know giving you a wistful knock now that's right (laughs) reset and bring bring your awareness to that empty niche and it's yeah. just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Um, but that's what's required everywhere because it's, um, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. Everything's an assault now. So, you know, with the tech, everything's an assault. It's, um, you know, it's surveillance, it's control, it's, you know, um, it's, it's a kind of colonization of everybody's minds and yeah. beings and awareness, especially with the eyeball hours and everything else. You know? Yeah. Um, that's really tricky to deal with. You yeah. Know? And so what is the resistance there? What is yeah. the, how do you uh, maintain some kind of space to go through? You know, uh, <laughs> the only real effective resistance I've seen anywhere on the planet so far is, um, is the Taliban who kind of won and they won forever and they won against Russia (laughs) with that. So Afghanistan has been kicking everybody's ass who wants to come in and install (laughs) some kind of national malware. They're like, Mm. no, fuck you. We're tribal. (laughs) Mm. 
You know what I mean? Do, um, do, you, do you think it's partly the land that facilitates that? It's just like well, literally, it's just like a you know this well, mountainous it's, kind it's of. It's not that. It doesn't matter what the landscape is. If you mm. maintain that connection to it, the land will tell you what you need to do. And it's mm. not like immediately that they run away to the mountains and the caves and just hide out because they're not mm. just doing that. Everything, everything is a is a um, is a low tech response mm. that you know you you can't okay. So, so you can't. It's 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 the same as if you do that response and you push back with that malice, and you do mm. that sharp, that sharp hit back, and then all you've got is a race to bottom for both of you and bad story, and you're both damaged and traumatized from it. It's the mm. same thing. If you resp- if you if you jump into that, um, you try and and compete in that technologically dominant space, you know, or you respond to a missile with a missile. If you respond. Mm to a bullet with a bullet, um, then it's, you know, it, it's different. Um, mm. Where Afghanistan's been amazing is, you know, you know, people are like, all right, we're going to surveil them. You know, we'll, we'll find out how they're organising, we'll tap their emails. And they say, well, you know, no, fuck you, we won't do emails. Uh, we're going to write <laughs> each other letters. And so they're, mm. right, they're actually writing letters? They're writing letters on paper with a pencil? Like, come on, you guys. We spent all this money on all this tech. You could at least use it so we can control you. No, no, we're doing that. All right, well, let's shut down their vehicles. It's like, you know, fuck you. We're not using vehicles. We're using horses now. Mm-hmm. So we got horses, you know, <laughs> like we've always done. And it's like, oh, well, let's let's fucking, uh, let's, you know, bug their houses. Um, let's, let's bomb their houses. And it's like, well, we're in the mountains now. And then it's like, okay, well, we need to take out that mountain range. Let's send the mother of all bombs there. And it's like, well, we're not in the mountains now. We're on the plains. You know? <laughs> um, right. And it's just that ability to move with and inhabit the landscape that mm. makes the Taliban like one of the most successful cultures on the planet. And probably, mm. um, you know, it, with the exception of the, uh, the hijacking of their culture, which will eventually be their demise, you know, by a um, hierarchical, top-down, um, large-scale, globalizing religious ethos. Uh, mm. That's that's what will take them down in the end. Um, mm. But in the meantime, it's that tribal ability to mm. move with and be of the landscape uh, that mm. has made Afghanistan so resilient um, mm. and which has, you know, rendered them victorious against, oh, you know, every tyrant for the last bloody 10,000 years, Afghanistan's kicked their ass. And Never uh, start a land war in Asia. So. Is that not one that pulls <laughs> out of a princess bride or something? <laughs> yeah, man, I, I did get that reference immediately. <laughs> <laughs> And never, uh, what is it, crossing a Sicilian when there's death on the Sicilian line. Never against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a nice, what a nice little uh, place to end it. See, there's story. <laughs> Princess Bride, that's good. <laughs> nah, yeah. Well, look, I've been, um, you know, for a while, um, you know, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that exercise this morning mm. where I've been for the last couple of years. Uh, so mm. basically a couple of years with the advent of, um, me struggling to come into this marketplace and to yeah. deal with how to be human and still sit in my community and in my story uh, with all that, I, I received a, a very large knock um, mm. to my body and spirit. And my spirit has actually been, uh, like a large part of my spirit has been outside of my body mm. um, for a long time. So I've been I've been kind of sleepwalking uh, through this life. Um yeah, and and trying to you know get that back aligned, um, and I guess it, it that that enabled me to to work twenty hours a day like a zombie, um, mm. 
but it, it has not allowed me to live and to be and to inhabit story and place in the right way. And as yeah. such, a, you know, I've just done a lot of things the wrong way in the last couple of years. Uh, but yeah. yes, yesterday I did have a, um, uh, like some people call it nunkery, but, you know, uh, over here, but basically a, a practitioner, you know, somebody who knows how to work that. Um, you know, so I finally was able to get um, somebody to come, like witch doctor a lot of people would call them, and hmm. put put that spirit back in. It took them about hmm. an hour, but found it, got it, put it back in my body, and um, and I did feel the difference straight away. So this uh, came at I, the right time then? This coming, yeah. And I look, I look different this morning and I feel different mm. and I can, um, yeah, I actually have the physicality where I'm inhabiting. Uh, my mind is in my body and yeah. my mind is in the place around me. Um, mm. So rather than talking from a void, I'm actually, you know, able to do it, which was great because you and I got to spend half an hour together before this and, um, and yeah. work through, you know, an actual physical exercise of, of doing the yeah. distributed cognition. And yeah, it's a very I feel difficult like this is thing my... to uh, explain. Sorry. That's just a difficult yeah, thing to it... explain. It's 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 easy enough to do and to enact, and you yeah. can hold yourself in it as long as you are actually inhabiting yourself with your spirit and your mind, and you're inhabiting your place with it. You can hold it. Um, I'm still mm. in it. I'm still in mm. it right now. You know, and I feel it. In, you know, my belly is is active again, mm. and uh, everything is. You know, it's sitting in the Excellent. right place and working. Mm. Yeah, I feel like this is a this is now, you know, we have different roles at different times in life, but I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing now. You know, is mm. is trying to trying to lead that fight against what the digital culture is doing, right? How it's mm. just con- disconnecting us, pushing our spirits out of our body and just leaving them for, out to dry. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. and encouraging us to sleepwalk and work because we can do it. There's no reason why we can't live and exist without a, a, a consciousness, really. We can tick all the boxes, yeah. show up for work and do most of what we need to do without really living, right? Unfortunately, yeah. we can in this, in this world. And that's only going to get worse as things get more and more And we all, we all have fun. to do that. But, yeah. but then at the so, same so time, we need each of us, we need yeah. yeah, you need to keep 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 a few uh, a few guys on ponies in the mountains yeah. in your soul, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, man. This, is a, no this has been a blinder. Thanks so much. I'm glad we uh, persisted with it. Yeah, yeah. No answers yet, but lots of lots of pretty good questions. And I think where we come out in the end is that uh, it's just make sure we're leaving the space for that good story. And it doesn't yeah. have to be forced or rushed. Uh, but also there's that idea that, you know, so the good story is what's going to come next and, and what's going to, um, you know, get everyone through the time of transition. And it's going to be what will nourish the people who are coming after who have to spend a thousand years on cleanup. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, but it's 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 good. I think we we're starting to nail some ideas of 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 what that looks like and how you can tell the difference between good story and bad story. And I think yeah. it's it's having an eye to those externalities and see what they are and whose interests that's serving. And I think um, you know power critiques are useful in that. Hmm. You know that we don't want to throw any babies out with any bathwater. Right. Yeah. So uh-huh. yeah, it was a good yarn for us. I think uh, <laughs> we did all right with that, and I, I think we're going to need some more down the track. Um, well, let's yeah. leave it for leave it for a few months again, and then we'll see what um, see where we're at. Love to, man. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Oh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks a lot, bro. Bye. Cheers, mate. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com.